Hi, everyone. This is Dave Newbert, Marketing Director for Eagle Eye Power Solutions, and welcome to our podcast, DC Power Hour, the show where we will discuss everything related to, you guessed it, critical DC power solutions. So charge up, power on, or do whatever it takes to get yourself excited for the episode of DC Power Hour. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of DC Power Hour. Back in the studio with our friends, the Battery Blarney duo, George and Alan. Good morning, gentlemen. Looking forward to this episode and a topic that I know you guys could talk for hours about. So let's get right into it. Alan, you want to give us a start? Yes, good morning. All uh, beautiful morning here in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, which we refer to as uh, couple of square miles surrounded by reality, but uh, battery warranty. I guess battery warranty starts from the very beginning with battery selection. And uh, maybe I'd like to bring George in and talk a little bit about that, and then we'll walk through the whole process, the, the roadblocks, the do's and the don'ts, and uh, also uh, try and help our listeners to file a warranty claim in such a way that it gets approved. So over to you, George. Hi, good morning, everyone. Alan, you're quite correct. It's something that a lot of people don't realize, that the modern batteries, even our uh, old traditional lead acid, have improved greatly over the years, especially in the last few years. And there's a lot of work being done to adapt the chemistry and the manufacturing to suit the different conditions that these batteries are used in. You know, because we we talk about standby power, but standby power can be applied almost any place in the world and in some very strange locations, including oil platforms, which I have a little bit of personal experience with. And the point is that the the modern batteries today, you have to select the right battery for the application. And that's one of my biggest concerns is because are we, you know, are people getting the right advice? Are you know, we've added uh, all these nice um, calculators. The, the the battery companies themselves have them, allow you to calculate your own battery. But do you, if you don't understand what all the technology is behind it, you may well be selecting a battery that's not applicable to the uh, the application you have. What do you think about that, George? Uh- I guess you say when battery technology is improved, you're probably referring moment mainly to VRLA technologies, absorbed glass mat and gel, gelled electrolyte. With regard to battery selection, one battery doesn't fit all. It's, uh, you know, you have batteries that are specifically designed for short duration discharges, mainly employed by the UPS companies. You know, they're designed to give quite a lot of power in a short period of time. Usually 10, the sweet spot's usually about 15 minutes. Then you, on the other end of the spectrum, you have long duration batteries, which may be sized for 24 hours, 48 hours reserve. For the sweet spot, usually about eight and 10 hours. So although they're similar, similar technologies, they're, they're both lead acid based batteries uh, with a usually an additive to the lead to give it some strength. So it could be lead, calcium, lead, antimony, lead, selenium. But although they're the same technologies, they're constructed differently. 
And uh, not always will a battery designed for long duration uh, use give you good performance on a UPS. And consequently, the batteries probably fail quicker. So I don't know if that's what you're getting at, George, but that that's where I'm coming from. And then if you agree with me, we'll go on to uh, the next subject, which is uh, putting the batteries into service properly. I do agree with you. That's exactly what I'm getting at. I was thinking, uh, yeah, VRLAs in particular, but this the whole idea of the environment that you're installing that battery in. We have, there's a lot of work being done coming back to the pure lead batteries that our friend Planty started with many years ago, discovering now that they actually stand up to temperature much, much better than uh, some of the uh, other designs. And that if you're going to be operating this in a in an outdoor cabinet with no environmental conditioning on it, that may be the battery you should be looking at. But is that the correct one? Is is that the one that's, are you being told that's the battery you should be using? Or do you actually know whether or not that's the battery you should be using? That's my biggest concern, because I'm just not seeing that level of knowledge out there when I'm doing, you know, as you know, you and I both do, we've been doing training for the last few years. And uh, you don't see that level of knowledge with the potential customers quite often. That's why you need to bring the professionals into it, George. There's a lot of new technologies appearing. Most of them are very good. I'll give you an example. You used an example of heat. Uh, well, there's certain chemistries are more susceptible to heat. Uh, lead calcium is a good example, uh, which causes uh, heat, you know, causes accelerated grid growth, uh, which will eventually lead to a failure. But they're coming out with uh, not only reverting to the uh, pure lead plantate type batteries, but they have uh, such batteries as thin plate pure lead. And some of them are using tin as an additive. So battery selection is becoming more complicated. It's not a matter of going down to the hardware store, the battery store and say, I need a uh, battery that will crank, give me some, so many cold cranking amps for uh, my vehicle here. It's much more complex than that. So I would refer people, prefer people that they may want to select the size of battery they want, but they really need to talk to the professionals to the best battery for the application. So you brought up a very good point there, George. Well, my, my concern is that, that who, you know, some of them will maybe try to claim if it doesn't last for that period of time, they want to claim it under warranty. And, you know, what does the battery manufacturer do then? Do they reject the warranty just because the person selected the wrong battery for the job? Uh, no. We'll cover that a little bit later. Your warranty is based on a lot of things in which we, we will discuss. And temperature is one of them. But what I, what I find, George, I have a background in looking at warranty claims. At one time, I worked for a or retired from a very good company that were, it was part of my job as a technical director to examine all warranty claims. And uh, I found a lot of, found out most of the claims coming across my desk were not valid. In other words, I could not pass them on to the uh, manufacturer because of lack of information. But one of the things I found out uh, very quickly was that a lot of the batteries 
were not being placed in service properly. In other words, they were not, they were either sitting on the shelf too long in an uncontrolled atmosphere or just sitting on the shelf too long. A lot of people don't realize that uh, typical battery, PRLA battery, only has a shelf life of uh, three to six months. So they were either been stored too long, which happens quite a lot, or they were stored in an unsuitable and climate controlled location. They weren't given a freshening charge during the storage time of it. The type of battery dictated it. And then they were put into service and weren't giving a, serv- a freshening charge when they were installed. So that poor battery uh, was on the road to failure from day one. So it's very important that when the battery is installed, if it's not more or less straight from the manufacturer or from the manufacturer's charging table, shall we say, that it should be given a freshening charge. A lot of times I don't see this done. And that freshening charge needs to, is manufacturer specified. It's the, the charging time, the voltage, even the current is specified by the manufacturer. And a lot of times the battery is just placed in service, equipment switched on, and that's it. But for a start, that poor old battery hasn't had a chance. So uh, your thoughts on that, George? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't got enough time, Alan, but never mind. Yes, it's a major problem. At one point in my my long career, I did a lot of commissioning of batteries in in brand new data centers. And the commissioning engineers would be in there testing everything out in the power system. And uh, when they were going to do the discharge test, because we had battery monitoring on the system, the prime contractor used to insist there was somebody from the monitoring company there to collect the data. So I did a lot of that over the years. And it frightened me every time because I'd walk in. As you know, it's a small industry, so most of the commissioning engineers I knew quite well by that time. And I'd walk in, my first question was, how's this going to go? And you get a comment like, well, they've just run the UPS again because they're still trying to solve problems on it. And in 10 minutes' time, we're about to do a full discharge test on it. And it had already been used at least twice that morning and, and been on battery power. So tell me, what's the chance? Of, you know, sometimes we had to make a judgment based on the results we got off the discharge, just based on the fact that that battery had not been given any preconditioning. It had not been fully charged for at least 24 hours. So... In some ways, I was being the one that was left to make the decision as to, to whether or not we would accept it if it wasn't quite as good as we thought it should be. You know what I mean? Because yeah, that, that's kind of a unique circumstances as well. But uh, what I used to advise people to do is, okay, uh, take take a typical cell site build out which we both experienced on, and the installation company is given a certain period of time to do that install, and so they install the batteries, hopefully correctly, hopefully with the right cabling, the right torque on the connectors, the right charge voltage, and everything else. And then they switch the thing on and get out of there. The job's done. If they were to do it according to the book, you would have to put it on freshening charge for probably about 48, 72 hours, come back, and then... Uh, look at the battery again, put it back on float, maybe come back again and see 
how it settled down. But what I used to advise people to do is, okay, you're not going to do this. We know you're not going to do this. So why don't you give the battery a freshening charge before you install it and then take it to site? So that way, when you do install it, for all intents and purposes, you have a, you know, a battery that has been given a freshening charge. It's not coming straight out of a warehouse somewhere. So that worked quite well. And I was able to look at warranty reports and I could tell batteries that basically had been given, well, I needed the documentation for a start, but had been given a good freshening charge. So from day one, they were, they stood a better chance of survival. Uh, but we'll talk about other things that, that, that can happen after they are installed. But you have to have a meaningful maintenance program. And, uh, George, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, as you know, I am a, a great advocate for, uh, battery monitoring, probably more than you are, even although you did sit on the first committee for the, the guide to battery monitoring. And it, to me, main, the, this idea that maintenance is that you go and do this thing and uh, then you you know, you know collect the data and you send it to somebody else. This is something that's uh, really becoming a, a bug in my ear all the time, is that this is what I keep hearing. The problem is maintenance is not just doing the task. It's understanding what you're actually looking at. It's looking at, you know, what are you seeing? What, is, what does the data tell you? It's no good just collecting it and sending it to somebody else because you have, they've got no idea what the environment is, for instance. Some people looked at me in shock when I tell them they have to take the, uh, make sure they have the ambient temperature when they're doing a maintenance. Even if you're doing a manual maintenance, you still got to have the ambient temperature. And I get a look, I've had people say to me, well, why would I want to do that? And I said, because that's going to tell you if you have a strange reading, that temperature could tell you what, why that reading is strange overall. It's changed because it's too high or too low. Do you agree with that? You know, it, it, maintenance isn't just going and doing something and walking away from it. Well, I agree with you entirely, but uh, let's talk about we've just placed the batteries in service and we want to start a maintenance plan on it. So most important thing is document everything. So start a, either a paper trail or even uh, an Excel spreadsheet or something like that that shows you the state of the battery when it was installed, voltage, temperature, current, some other things that may be very relevant, ambient temperature, as you said, George. More importantly, the battery temperature itself. Of course, taking it the, the ne negative most terminal. But uh, one of the things you might want, also want to do is, before you even install the battery, is do some form of a test on it, I recommend, like a, an omic measurement test, where you can get spot some infant mortalities and get them out of the way. Because if you have a battery string and a couple of bad cells, or even one bad cell, going to drag the rest of the cells down. So, so get rid of those uh, bad cells before you even install them. Then once you've installed them, create a database uh, based upon the readings you're getting when the battery's installed. Now, I'm not saying this is a baseline data. I'm just saying this is a start of a database. And then you need to come back probably about three to six months later, depending on the technology, 
I usually advise about six months, and then start start a omic measurement baseline from that period. So this is coupled with the probably a quarterly maintenance, or monthly maintenance, quarterly maintenance on the battery as specified by the relevant IEEE standard, which, by the way, for a vented lead acid cell, and there was a flooded battery, is uh, IEEE 450. And for a valve-regulated re- lead acid battery, it's IEEE 1188. So, so you're starting to accumulate information. Looking at battery warranties, that's what I like to see. I like to see the information. If you don't have any information, you, you've got practically no chance of getting a warranty past me. So uh, record the data and then start trending it. And I, I know that's one of your specialities, George, in, in, in trending data. So what do you think about that? The sad thing about this, we're supposed to be arguing about things, but we tend to agree these days. It must be old age or something. But I 100% agree with you. Trending, looking at the data, understanding what the data means. And that, that's what, to me, is missing at the present moment, is this lack of understanding about what the data actually means. People look at it and, and, and they don't know. They're just collecting information. It's uh, the, the, the only thing I said to you said about six months before you, you create the OMIC baseline. I always said, when I was doing battery monitoring, I would always have the OMIC baseline established on day one and then monitor that because if you see some violent swings in it as the battery settles in and becomes fully charged, that's a good way to identify infant mortality. You're not going to monitor against the limit. You're just going to look at the data. And if there's one of them has swung by quite a lot, you know, more than all the rest, there's a good indication that there's a problem with that cell. And you either change it or, and that might be difficult to get under warranty, but at least you watch it. And to quote you, you have already got it all recorded. You know that that battery swung from one leg. It was it, it went negative and then it went positive type thing. And then, yes, once it has stabilized, three, three to six months, depending on the, a lot of times, depending on the environment they're operated in, you can set that baseline on which the breast of its paste. But one of the problems is that a lot of times people will use that baseline and say, well, it's got to rise by this amount before we can claim it under warranty. No, it shouldn't be that way. It should be, it should be, is this cell changing at a different rate from all the other ones in the battery? Because that's the indication. You don't have to wait till it gets to a limit if it's behaving differently. Would you accept that under a warranty claim? Well-known answer to any battery question, George, is it depends. But let's uh, back off a little bit as well. So it's not only important that you install the battery properly, give it a proper freshening charge, take baseline data or as installed data, but it's also important that you charge the battery in according with the manufacturer's instructions. Because even though battery from similar technology, everything else from different manufacturers may require different charging voltage. And that's because of the specific gravity is directly related to the specific gravity of the electrolyte. So you may get one manufacturer that makes a product, say, take, take a standard 100 ampere hour at the 8-hour rate battery, and 
who uses 1.28 Pacific gravity electrolyte. Well, that requires a certain charging voltage. Would they come along with another manufacturer, same type of battery, same chemistry, 100 ampere hour, 8 hour rate, but he's used 1.3 Pacific gravity electrolyte. So therefore, that battery would require slightly higher charging voltage than the lower specific gravity electrolyte battery. So it's very important that you use the charging voltage as recommended by the manufacturer. Because a lot of times they won't tell you the specific gravity. But the other thing is that it's not only important that you use the right charging voltage, but you've got to look at the temperature the battery's being operated at. Because the manufacturer's recommended charging voltage is usually on this side of the pond, based upon an ambient of 77 degrees Fahrenheit, 25 degrees centigrade or 25 degrees C. And you may have to change that slightly or significantly, depending upon the temperature or the ambient temperature where the battery's been operated. I know a lot of uh, modern chargers will allow you to employ temperature compensation. But what I'm saying is that the battery has to be charged at the correct voltage. Because a lot of people, a lot of times the battery, the charger will come out of the factory, whether that charger is a standalone charger or whether it's a modular charger or whether it's a charger in a UPS system, that battery, that probably come out something like, set to something like 2.25 volts per cell. But that may not be correct for the battery you've just installed. So it's very, very important that you use the correct charging voltage. Again, I agree with you, but I have actually been on a site with a technician, pointed out that the charging voltage was wrong for that particular battery. And I was told that the service manager of the service group had said they weren't playing these games about all these different voltages. It were all to be set at this one voltage because it didn't make that it didn't make any difference. This was just things by battery manufacturers. Well, I would have made a notation on the a particular record that uh, warranty claims to, are to be ignored. But yeah. uh, not only I, I wasn't selling the battery at the time. I was just trying to put the monitor in place. Okay, okay. Well, there's other things you need to take in consideration, and one is the charging current. That's very important, as you know, George. You know, any change in charging current significant, significant, indicates something. And that uh, indication may be, hey, well, gone up slightly because the ambient has gone up slightly. Or it's if it's gone up slightly and nothing else has changed, you, you, you've got to be suspicious about something. But if you have a record of this charging current uh, through the life of the battery, that, that's a great, great thing to have in your back pocket when it comes to warranty claims. So uh, you have to look at that as well. Uh, a lot of times, if if you follow the IEEE recommended uh, practice for maintenance, uh, it, it usually has a one month, three month, six month, or quarterly, and then an annual inspection. Uh, a lot of the times it will cover these points we've talked about. but. There's nothing to beat a monitor on the system. Uh, so 
I know that's another one of your hot topics, George. Uh, you know, not everybody can afford to put a monitor. You know, I'm not going to put a $4,000 monitor on a $1,000 battery. But uh, if I have a significant battery and it's quite important, uh, I, I might think about putting a monitor on it. So what benefits is that, is that going to do for me, George? Well, what it's going to do for you is collect uh, a lot more data than you can collect at the time you are on site for your uh, physical visit under the and with manual data collection. Uh, and probably the biggest thing it brings you is information about how the battery is changing under the different operational conditions. In other words, people that get monitors put on, the first thing they are absolutely amazed at is the number of discharges they have. They have no idea that there are all of these small discharges that are occurring on the battery. And that can be for a number of different reasons. It doesn't always have to be uh, mains failure. I've seen UPS batteries that were, were damaged simply by lots of very, very short step loads when things were switching in and out. And that was, you know, the, it, it was fractions of a second of discharge. It was basically causing, it was eventually aging the battery at a much faster rate than we would have believed. The battery in this case actually fell apart in two years. So, yeah, the, the, the whole thing about it is, is you're collecting this data. You can see this data. It will give you some indication. Just to watch, I get criticized at times because I always say that, you know, if you want to do a discharge test as per IEEE, then you'd better do it as per IEEE recommended practices. And that means if this is an eight-hour battery, you're going to sit there watching this thing for eight hours because you don't know what's going to happen in the last 15 minutes. But likewise, I can also tell you that I have seen situations where the UPS was set up to do a six-minute discharge, part of a battery management program that Eaton had at one point. I believe it's still there. It used to do a six-minute discharge every couple of months. And believe it or not, that six-minute discharge could tell you quite a lot, especially on a battery system that was multiple strings because you would see how the different strings responded under the discharge, even at six minutes. Some would pick up the load much faster than others for different reasons. I've seen one where you it picked up the one particular string, picked up the load oh, every time. It was the first one to pick up the load. It carried the most of the load for part of the, dis, the, the six-minute discharge, or carried a lot of it at least. And what did you discover in the end? If you actually did a discharge test, it did the same thing, but it died well before the end of time because the, the, the cells in the string had dried out. And as you just mentioned about the electrolyte, as a VLA dries out, the actual specific gravity rises inside that cell. And as a result, it will have the faster response when a load is applied to it. But it won't have the, basically, it won't have the active material there to survive the, the length of the discharge. So that's, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of this information that's there, but you've got to look at it and you've got to interpret it. You can't just yeah. rely on alarms. Also, George, you talked about a little bit of battery abuse, I guess, but uh, there's other things that need to come into consideration and affect warranty. You know, a typical battery is sold, say it's 10-year life VRLA battery. Now, that 10-year life is, is kind of meaningless. 
it's a carryover from the old vented lead acid batteries. But anyway, so typical warranty would say that the manufacturer will warrant this uh, battery for three years full warranty plus seven years prorated. Uh, and we know that warranty proration is just a, a numbers game. But uh, so it'll say to pet as long as it is charged, blah, 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 you know, in accordance with blah, blah, blah. But the thing is that the warranty itself, you know, must be substantiated. But if you abuse the thing, the darn battery, and I'll give you a good example, it is Ripple. And we're talking about, we've had a tech note coming out this month, George, in the newsletter, I think, on Ripple. Ripple could kill a battery as well. And you talked about these short duration discharges. But what's becoming more common now is not so much, you know, we're getting a lot more blackouts, as you know. I read, read somewhere the other day that in my area, the, we had 22 blackouts last year. So of more than one minute duration. You know, I experienced one here the other day. So you have these blackouts, but not only that, you're getting brownouts. So your know, brownout is not very good for a charger so or a UPS situation. So it may go to bypass. So you're going to get your batteries being exercised a lot more, not just because of blackout, but because of brownout conditions. So that comes into, into play with the warranty as well. But what, what I'd like to do, uh, I'll let you comment on a couple of things, George, but then I'd like to go through the things that you need to, talk, need to file with a warranty claim uh, to try and, and, and get it accepted. So, uh, you know, we've talked about battery charging, battery abuse, battery environment, battery selection. So is there anything else we need to think about, George? How are you making me think? Well, because I stopped thinking. You know, I, I paused to think and forgot to start again. You said maintenance too, right? You said a maintenance contract has something to be considered for a warranty as well? You no, know, oh. it, it, it doesn't matter whether it's a maintenance contract or whether you're doing the maintenance yourself. It's just that it should be done. I, I think what I was trying to say is that anything you do to that battery or anything that happens to that battery during its life should be recorded. And all the all the information round about it should be recorded because that's probably the most important part of it. That's why I I'm always on about I, I hate limit alarms because they don't actually tell you anything other than the fact that uh, you haven't done your job properly and the battery's probably just failed, or it's uh, you know you're you're operating at the wrong voltage or something like that. It's just it's a, the whole thing about it's this. You need to be looking after it all the time, and you need to have that information in order to to give it to the battery company in order to get the warranty. And um, with all due respect to the to the battery manufacturers, uh, Alan and I lived through the early days of VRLA batteries when um, design problems were prominent. Shall we say we changed out a lot of batteries over those years, and. Um, but the battery manufacturers today have really done their work. They are in far better condition. And I would say that the, the main reasons that we have problems are the way they are handled by the customer. 
and everything else we just talked about, all these other problems. So to me, if, uh, if I was trying to submit something to Alan on a battery warranty, I would be giving him all the information, what the system load was, or any records I had about discharges, all that stuff. So basically, I, I, I suppose because I'm so monitor orientated, I would simply dump out the record, the monitor record, and uh, give it to him, as long as it was um, it substantiated my claim. Because I wouldn't be stupid enough to give him one that didn't substantiate the claim, but other people will. What do you say well, to Alan? Yeah, the much information as you can give the manufacturer as possible. Some things are often overlooked. You know, I've seen warranty claims come in with a lot of information, but they don't have, say, for instance, the battery date code with, with them, manufacturing batch number, which manufacturers love to see. But manufacturers are just, they get bad, bad rap sometimes. They don't necessarily want to reject warranties. They want to find out what went wrong. A lot of times they will be very honest with you. And I've dealt with most of, most of the North American manufacturers, and they can be very honest. And I would say to them, you know, do we have a batch problem here? You've, uh, and they could say, yeah, we may have. I, I had a vented lead acid battery problem that I flagged up the manufacturer, even when I, that was to do with uh, fracking cases. And they first ignored me, and then uh, I went up to their facility, and they did some conducted some experiments. weren't very satisfactory, but long story short is that they eventually found out that they were using the wrong mold for their cases. And I like to think that was precipitated by me being stubborn and trying to prove to them that you know there was a problem there, and they they were grateful for that. So submit. As much information, beginning with the, the manuf- you know, even the, not only the manufacturing date code, but you know, when the battery was delivered. A lot of this can be very useful. And the more information you give the manufacturer, well, a lot of times you're not dealing with the manufacturer, you're dealing with the person that sold you the battery. So uh, that can prove difficult at times. They will usually want to turn down the warranty claim. But things that you might look over on. Submit pictures with your claim, okay? If a battery's swelling or if you get a post seal leak or uh, something like that, submit a picture of it. Picture's worth a thousand words, uh, words, as you know. So once again, I keep harping on about as much information much information as possible. And, and the other thing is, maybe I'll let, let you talk for a little bit, George, but I want to talk about the actually what a warranty claim means, you know, even what, what is the three year plus seven years prorated, what it actually means. So uh, are you any further comments before we go on to that, George? My only other comment on, on data to be collected is, and, and this is something that uh, I, I picked up because looking at a lot of data on brand new batteries and data centers is that uh, quite often on certain systems, you have a whole pile of failures on on the commissioning discharge, and they all tend to be grouped together. Now, as you know, statistically, if that was a manufacturing problem, 
they'd be spread out within the cabinet or, or spread out within five cabinets. But in this case, they tend to be grouped. And if you add them up, it turns out it looks just like, like a pallet full of batteries. And that tells me is that a lot of our damage that we may be seeing in some of these claims eventually are because of damage during shipping. You know, and it, I have suggested that you can use these uh, G-force indicators. I think they cost about three or four bucks each and stick them on the outside of the box. And when you, as the installer, go to do the installation, if that's, marked, if that's red, you simply say, I'm not going to install this pallet because it's been dropped. Now, part of the problem you have is that it's not always, you're not always there to take delivery of it. So you have to make sure that the, the customer that's accepting it, tell them they have to check those indicators. And uh, if they're red, reject the shipment there and then. But, you know, you're, you're back to this asking other people to do something. And there's a lot of salesmen, if I said to them, well, look, if this thing came in with a damaged indicator and uh, you claim the battery's damaged, if you don't don't reject it on delivery to you, we're not going to we're not going to honour any warranty claim or anything on it. But people don't want to take it to that extreme, do they? Very good point, George. The what I was uh, going to trying to lead into was what does a what does a warranty actually mean? And we'll use the standard probably uh, three year unconditional and seven years prorated type warranty. What that really means is that the, the manufacturer will give you a three-year warranty, and there was full replacement if it may, if you meet criteria the battery manufacturer requires for that warranty. But what they don't tell you usually is that, well, transportation is not included, installation is not not included. So the the poor end user or his maintenance company has to, or the people that sold him the battery, have to foot the bill for the transportation and installation. And a lot of times, when, which can exceed the actual cost of the battery itself. So, But anyway, where it gets tricky is when it goes into the prorated phase, because something else they don't tell you is that for a prorated warranty, say you have a battery and you're into year four, and that battery fails, which is quite common for a VRLA battery, uh, depending on its application, usually a, a UPS application. What that means is that the manufacturer will prorate the cost of that battery. So say that battery costs you uh, $1,000, and you're in year four. Okay, so you've had four years use of it. So you've eaten up $400 of that $1,000. But they don't tell you that for the new battery that you can apply that credit to, that $600, is for a battery at full list price. As you know, George, nobody sells a battery at full list price, unless you're talking about Sears or Walmart or something like that. But straight away, you're probably in negative territory. Because that new battery, that replacement battery, may cost you seven or eight hundred dollars. So it's a numbers game. So when you get into the prorated period, I knew one manufacturer that 
we have a five-year full, full warranty. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, five-year full warranty, but tied up the numbers as well so that, you know, it became, they knew the battery was going to fail, but it became a numbers game. So when they tied so many things onto the replacement battery, that very few people claimed it, claimed the warranty. So you've got to be very, very careful of that. A little bit knowledgeable about it as well. So when you sold a battery, look at the warranty very, very carefully and sit down with the manufacturers and ask, what, what does this really mean? So your thoughts on that? You just stole my thunder. I was going to come back at you and ask you about that because, yes, you're absolutely correct. This whole concept of prorated always comes back to the fullest price. And in many cases, some of the, the large buyers of batteries may well be paying 40% under list price if their volume is high enough through the manufacturer. So um, it's uh, you're not actually getting a very good warranty at all. And as you say, the, if you get a five-year one, it's tied up in so many legal details. And if you don't have everything, you know, the old story, if you don't have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, it's going to be rejected. I, the, the, to me, the, the sad thing about it is, in a sense, is that one of the reasons that the battery manufacturers have to do that is because of the way that we actually treat the batteries out in the application. When, when we're simply not looking after them. And you have to, you know, I always talk about the fact is that there are, there are lots of things about the battery and the human body are very similar. We're all born with the expected lifespan, but depending on what we do and how we behave and how we treat themselves, it depends on at which point we depart this earth. And the same applies to the battery. You know, there is a lot of similarity. If you abuse the battery, you will it will not last as long. If you abuse your body, you, you will sort of leave this world earlier. Except maybe but, but George, you, you and I should be dead long ago, I think. But I was about to uh, say that, but you know, there are there are exceptions to every rule. Anyway, I don't know how much time we have left, but I'd like to point out uh, two very good resources uh, that you have uh, that Eagle Eye has uh, when it comes to uh, battery warranty. There's a technologue we have as uh, think of as. Something to do with uh, battery charging. I think that the title was, are, are you charging your batteries properly? Uh, and if you follow that, the chances of you getting a warranty claim through it, pretty, pretty good. But also at a BATCON, oh, several years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, uh, I presented a paper uh, in conjunction with a very, very good battery guy, Curtis Ashton who you know, George, mm -hmm. and respect. Uh, and it was to do with warranty claims. Uh, and that con paper contained a lot of the information we've talked about today. And uh, if uh, any of our listeners wants to contact Legal Eye, I can steer them in the right direction of getting that, uh, that uh, paper. A couple of battery manufacturers come up to us afterwards and, and thanked us, said, uh, thanks for putting that out there. It really helps us. So, as I say, we at uh, folks at Eagle Eye have a lot of other very, very good information when it 
when it comes to this thing. But like you said at the very beginning, George, warranty claims or warrant battery warranty or the state of health of a battery starts from day one. Mm-hmm. Do you have any closing comments? Just that you, you, you made a comment when I was talking about my challenges doing uh, assessing the state of a battery on commissioning a, a, on a data centre. You said that was kind of unique. Uh, unfortunately, within the data centre world, that was not kind of unique. That was pretty standard. But, you know, the, but I think the other point is that we didn't actually discuss, and that's what we were doing on those occasions, was we were actually doing a commissioning discharge test. And I truly believe that of all the discharge tests that we should do on a battery, that that initial commissioning discharge test should be the most important because it's then when you discover things like batteries that have been damaged during shipping, it's then when you decide that a lot of the infant mortality, you find it out and you can change them out at that point and you have improved the life of the battery. If you don't do that commissioning discharge and know it's all there, and know it's all correct, then uh, you could go on for two or three years and then suddenly have a bunch of failures with, with something that actually was wrong on the day you installed it, but it finally uh, came to on. I'm thinking of things like, Alan, like, a, like a crack or something within the, uh, within the, internal, in the terminals that uh, it provides continuity in the early days, but you won't get any corrosion at all, it breaks away, you know? Just we've, they, we've they, had cases like that. The, they, the thing is, George, we talked about uh, load tests and everything else, but what, what I'd like to remind people is the earlier you can find a defective battery, the better. Because... If you have a defective battery sitting in a battery string and you're, you're blind to it, you know, you're deaf, dumb, and happy, that battery is damaging the other, se- other battery units or battery cells in that battery string. So the earlier you can get a battery cell or unit replaced in a string, the better for the rest of the string. But not only that, you've got to remember these days, what's the big problem these days? It's supply chain. So. If you have a battery failed and a string and you want an immediate replacement, you're probably not going to get it. You may have to wait weeks. So here you are sitting for weeks with a a bad battery and bad battery string. But the sooner you can find out if there is a problem, and that's what you're preaching, George, and I agree with you, find out, get the bad ones out of there quickly. So Mm -hmm. that way you can get a replacement and not have to wait weeks and weeks, or maybe some cases w- wait for next year's budget, which, which yeah. we've seen to, uh, to do that. So whatever you, what you can find out, the earlier you can find out, the better. Yes. As I said, I think if, if I wanted to make a warranty claim on a new battery and I handed you the, uh, the commissioning discharge information, you don't have a problem with... Honoring that one day, there's something that they did not meet this need, but it was sold for. So, you know. Not, not at all. I, I would probably ask you for, like I said before, the delivery information, battery date codes, oh, yeah. uh, stuff like that. But uh, I'd be more likely to grant you a warranty claim there and then say yes. Because the manufacturer or the supplier, they want to keep a customer. If they don't like rejected warranty claims, 
but I can understand why they do reject warranty claims. So, uh, you know, get that taken care of straight away. If you go, battery was defective upon delivery. I'd probably ask you for some details and then say, okay, we'll ship you another one. You know, it's, it's the more you know, the better chance you have of, the more you know, and the more information you can give the manufacturer, better chance you have of getting a warranty claim accepted. And that doesn't apply just to me. That doesn't just apply in a one-off case. If you're a large user of batteries and you are continually monitoring and doing maintenance on it, as those large data centers are, if you have a pattern of treating the battery correctly, having all this information, it becomes a lot easier to make the next claim and then the following claim because you've been able to prove to start with, you become a trusted partner with respect to claims rather than each one is investigated in great detail. Exactly. And if you're a large user, large organization, large user, it's like a utility company, telecommunications company, and you, you can gain the trust of the manufacturer. So the, I used to have a great working relationship because they knew that I wasn't trying to pull the wool over the rise or anything like that. So you can get the trust of that manufacturer. And a lot of times I, I got the got the response, okay, Alan, we believe you. Fine, just go ahead and we'll put the warranty claim through. That's very important as well. Last thing you want to do is try and fool the manufacturer because a lot of times that's not going to work and they're going to look at you with suspicion from that, that day onwards. But I think one of the other things is that if, you, if you're doing your own correct level of analysis and you have a battery that is doing something very, very strange. Most of the battery manufacturers would love to know about that and have that one identified because they may want to to do a strip down and analysis when it gets back. If it, if it is doing something very strange, it doesn't make sense. You uh, at one point when you were with your the, the company you retired from, you did quite a bit of that. You did breakdowns and analysis on yeah. new batteries, but also on. Uh, Ones that were returned if they were, if they had, they just weren't behaving the way you would expect. We did a lot of that. And uh, that's when we started to see dry out as a problem. Because we used to weigh the batteries. That's one thing we did. But uh, talking about dry out, which is probably one of the main failure mechanisms of valve regulated lead acid batteries. I saw a statistic. I I don't know where I saw it. uh, it's not one of these statistics I made up, George, but okay. I, I did I did see it somewhere. You, you, you know I've never done that, you know. No, but uh, it says that 10% of loss of electrolyte in a valve-regulated lead-acid battery can be about 50% loss of capacity. So, you know, that, that makes you think. The other, mm. the other thing we know is not just a statistic, it's almost proven, but that when a battery is operated, at 15 to 18 degrees Fahrenheit above its recommended operating temperature, that battery life is cut in half. So that applies to a warranty as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you need to look. That's just another reason to to look at the, the temperature. Well, yeah, that's ambient temperature becomes a very important part of it. And if you if you want your battery, if you want your battery to last, don't put it in the cabinet. Well, maybe put it in the cabinet, good ventilation, but uh, most of the cabinets I've seen, 
you know, the poor old battery never stood a chance. Yeah, so there's, if, there's a lot of those out there, believe me. So if you want your battery to last, you might want to think of an open frame rack. With some of the stuff we just talked about today, actually, the whole training and uh, understanding knowledge. They, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this is being recorded still or not, but uh, it was at the, at a NACE conference in Seattle, George, as, as you know, that uh, I gave a talk years ago, and they had me dressed up as a doctor in a, in a white coat with a stethoscope and on the on the booth that said, you know, the battery doctor's in. But I had the name when I was with the, my previous company of Dr. No, because I kept rejecting warranty claims. Yeah, I remember that. There we go. On that uh, note, I think we can uh, we can wrap it up. And maybe if our audience ever wants to submit warranty claims that maybe they've they have had rejected and has more questions about uh, maybe what they could have done differently um, when it comes to warranties, that would be a great follow up episode to to work with you guys on. So, thanks again. Any any final remarks before we we head out here today, guys? No, I think I've said enough. Uh, I, I just repeat the fact that uh, you know Eagle Eye has a wealth of information on batteries, not just battery warranty, but battery how you treat them, battery maintenance, and everything, which we willingly share with uh, our customers. So uh, don't be afraid to contact Eagle Eye if you need if you need some further information. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. Have yourselves a great day. Okay. Thank you. Bye. We hope you can join us next time. And in the meantime, if you have any questions for the Battery Blarney Duo or anything else you want us to discuss in next week's episode, please email us at info at eepowersolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you then.